Okay, let's take our Bibles and open it to Ephesians. And um, those of you visiting us, uh, we are busy with the series in Ephesians, and I think there's about four sermons left in Ephesians until we will go to either another book or another uh, small mini-series for the new year as well. But we're almost done with spiritual warfare as we study the armor of God. And I encourage you, if you've missed some of the previous sermons, to really um, go to our website and listen to some of them as well, to, to be able to be equipped as well, to understand what it means to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And today we'll be looking at um, the helmet of salvation. So let's read from verse 14. Let's read Ephesians 6 from verse 14. So stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and we ask, Lord, for your mercy. Lord, we know that even now that your, the seed of your word will be sown on our hearts and that the devil would be ready to distract us or to take our attention away from your word, not to hear the truth of your word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lean forward in our souls, to listen carefully, but more importantly, Lord, to apply and to be doers of your word. Father, please be merciful to me as I preach your word, Lord, to be clear and accurate as I ought to preach as well. May your name be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Beloved, one thing you can be certain about in any war, in any fight, uh, when a soldier fights, is that uh, the threat of discouragement. The threat of discouragement. How long will this battle be? Will, will I make it till the end? How many more years do I have to keep on doing this? And so with the Christian, if you're a believer, in times of intense spiritual struggle, in times of prolonged sufferings and trials, in times when it looks like the world is just going to continue in the way it's always been and just goes worse and worse, we battle with thoughts like these. How long will this battle be? Will I make it to the celestial city? How many more years do I have to just keep on standing and resisting and fighting and defending the faith? How long must I keep fighting the devil, fight my, the sin of my heart and fight the world and resist the, the, the pressure of the world? How long do I have to endure even my physical sufferings, my physical trials? How long will this battle be? And beloved, in comes the helmet, the helmet. Remember, God has given us everything we need in his armor, which, we, which he provides for us, that we might be able to stand firm till the end. And the command is not to pick up only one piece of the armor, but the full armor. We need every single piece of this armor. And so we will look at the helmet of salvation today. And what does a helmet do but to protect your head? Okay, obviously. <laughs> okay. Against the lethal blows of the devil. And again, you could have the belt on, you can have the breastplate on, and you can have the shield, but if you are helmetless, one shot to the head and you're out. The fight is over. And so we need to know what this means and how to put it on, how to wear the helmet against the schemes 
of the devil. So today, we're going to answer two questions about this text. First question, what does salvation refer to here? And second question, why do we need the helmet? Okay, so first question, what does salvation refer to in this text? Because verse 18 or verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, like so much of the armor of God, we need to pause and ask ourselves, what does Paul mean when he uses the word salvation? What was going on in Paul's mind as he was writing this text? Now, the idea of salvation itself is not hard to understand. We all know what salvation means. Okay, if you are drowning, someone throws you a life jacket, that's salvation from drowning, okay? The, the building is burning, someone comes in, extinguishes the flames, and you bring, brings you out safely, that's salvation from burning to death. So being saved implies that we are in a predicament, there's danger, and somebody or something comes in from the outside and rescues us, saves us, delivers us from that situation. Therefore, when we ask, when Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, to what does he refer to? Now, the challenge for you and me is not to rush to a conclusion, because as we look at Ephesians that, and, and the rest of the Bible, we know that salvation can refer to one of three things. It can refer to a past event, it can refer to a present event, or it can refer to a future event. It can be either one of those or all of them in one. For example, the Bible can speak of something, a salvation as something in the past. The moment you've repented of your sins and put your trust in the Lord Jesus, that is past salvation. Once for all, you are justified. That's, and the Bible speaks of a present salvation. That speaks of the ongoing process of putting your sin to death, of the Holy Spirit saving you from the deceitful desires of your own body, your own flesh, and your sin that wants to rule you and master you. And the Bible speaks of salvation as a future event, the moment Jesus comes back and raises us from the dead. On that day when we'll stand before judgment day and we will hear the, the verdict, no condemnation for you because you have trusted in Christ. That is future salvation that we all need to go through. So let's consider how Ephesians talks of salvation Notice how Ephesians focuses on a past salvation in chapter 1, verse 13. So just turn back to Ephesians 1, verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So here it speaks of the moment you believed, you were sealed. That speaks of this past salvation. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Just turn to chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved, past tense, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Again, notice that this is something that happens in the past. You have been saved the moment you trusted in Christ. That's the day you were saved. Now, I suspect when generally we speak of salvation, we think of that. We think of this past element. But the Bible also speaks of salvation as this present thing, that is continually happening in our lives. Look at chapter 2, just the next verse, verse 10. The very next verse says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. There are present good works for you and me to do that God prepares for us. That's part of his salvation. That's part of him saving us, changing us, conforming us to the image of Christ, that we might be more like Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22, it says, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see that? So that's also this present ongoing salvation, to put off the old man, to put on a new man, to be saved from the deceitful desires of our bodies. Okay, just turn to the next book, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 12. A very famous verse, but also speaks of this present salvation that God is busy doing. Listen to that. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do you see? It says, you have a salvation that you need to work out. But the question is, how do you work out something that's done, that's complete? Didn't Jesus say, it is finished on the cross? Well, Paul has in mind sanctification, the process of working that reality of our justification out into our lives to become what we already are in Christ. See, that's what he, that's what he speaks. That's part of being saved. But then the Bible also speaks of this future. Look at chapter 4, verse 30, Ephesians, back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption. The day of salvation. The day when our bodies will be redeemed from this brokenness. Romans 8 speaks of that same reality that we are longing and we are waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for our resurrection when Jesus comes again. That's future. So the key question then is, which one of these three does Paul mean when he says, take the helmet of salvation to protect your thinking? Now, you could argue probably for all three, but I think there's another key verse you need to look at, and that's where Scripture interprets Scripture, and you need to write it down or go to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, because here's a parallel passage that clarifies which one of the three Paul has specifically in mind. So, Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. And because that's Paul writing there and here, I think it's safe to conclude that when Paul wrote in, in Ephesians, put on the helmet of salvation, he's primarily thinking of the second coming of Christ. He's primarily thinking of that great and glorious day when our bodies will be transformed and raised from the dead to be like Christ's, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what I think he has in mind. Now, think about how this actually fits with the imagery of a helmet. What, help, what happens to a soldier when he has a helmet on? He has courage. It gives him confidence. It gives him energy. Think of a sport, right? Think of like cricket, for example. Imagine a great cricket player, a great batter, who has to bat without his helmet. He can be excellent, but he's always going to be timid, fearful when that ball comes hurling at his head. Okay? But then put a helmet on that cricket player. And what happens? He becomes bold. He can face the challenge. Or, my favorite, put a helmet on a child. Okay? 
Before the helmet, they're weak. They can't do anything. Put the helmet on. They can defeat all their siblings, mom and dad, all at the same time. Bring it on. I have a helmet, <laughs> okay? And that's exactly what I think Paul has in mind here. Yeah, this is the effect that the helmet of salvation should have in your life. When we put on this helmet, when we protect our thinking by not forgetting that Christ is coming back, that there is a judgment day, that the devil will be cast into the lake of fire, that this battle and the suffering is temporary, it's light, it's momentary, gives us what? Confidence, enthusiasm, energy to endure. And so now let's close with the second question. Why do we need the helmet? And here's two reasons why we need the helmet. The first one is to protect us from giving up in spiritual war. To protect us from giving up in spiritual war. So the idea here is, I, I, th- I really believe that the devil, there's a kind of demonic discouragement. Especially for the Christian, especially for the believer. As we fight, as we resist, as we pursue holiness, we have an enemy that wants to discourage us. The devil takes our pain, he takes our trials, he takes our loneliness, he takes our suffering, And he lies to you and says, this is how it's going to be forever. This will never end. He wants you to take your helmet off. To droop your head. To walk with, to fight with a a sloppy hand. And that's why you need to have your helmet to protect your thinking. To remind yourself on a daily basis of the second coming of Christ. So even when we wrestle against these authorities, against these cosmic powers over this present age, we remember with the helmet of the hope of salvation that this battle is already won. When Christ died, when he rose from the dead, it is, it is, the enemies has been defeated. This war will not go on forever. And that's what we need to actively think about, actively protect our mind. My king has defeated the enemy. My king is seated at the right hand of the Father. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And therefore I will not give up now. I will endure. I will run this race until the end. The helmet basically helps us to look up. To not be so caught up in the, all the bad news, all the suffering, all the discouragements that we face. Like the confidence of the cricket player, we can look at every fiery fiery dart that the devil throws at us and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Gives us that courage. Think of when you have to suffer because you are a Christian. I mean, we're already suffering just because we're human, just because we're living in a fallen world. Now you're suffering because you're a Christian. You have extra suffering on top of your suffering. Think of how discouraging that is. Who wants more trouble in 2023, right? I, I'm sure none of you wrote at the beginning of the year, my, I, I just want a more harder life this year than last year. But the reality is for the Christian, that, that's a real possibility just because you're a Christian. But look at how the helmet looks like in Matthew 5 verse 11. When Jesus says this, Matthew 5 verse 11, Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. Listen to why. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see the helmet? 
Don't be discouraged when people revile you and mock you because you're a Christian because your reward is great in heaven. It's not here now. It has, it's the hope of our future reward that keeps our chins up and say, even, even though people throw these insults and mock me because of my faith, I don't care because there's a reward. That's the helmet. That's the helmet in action. And that's why, that's the only way you can rejoice. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, endure it. It says it should actually make you happy, to make you glad when people, people persecute you. But if you don't think there's an eternity coming, if you don't know there's a life after death, a resurrection, if you forget that, you're going to be discouraged. You're not going to rejoice. Now, I want you to try and imagine the life of a Christian without the helmet on. He might win a few battles here and there with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the shield of faith, and he's resisting and he's resisting. But then the Christian notice that the next wave is already on its way. You've just overcome this one and here comes another one and here comes another one and here comes another one. And the fiery dots, the schemes of the devil, the lies of the temptation, the trial just doesn't seem to end. And if he doesn't have his helmet on, he will give up. He will abandon the faith. He will leave the faith. Discouragement, hopelessness, thoughts like, I, I just can't do this. I can't keep up. This is the rocky ground of the parable of the sower. Remember the, the parable of the sower when the seed falls, they, they receive it with joy, but the moment persecution come, they fall away immediately. These are those believers, I can put them in quotation marks, believers who they, they really do rejoice in the truth of the Bible, but the moment their lives are too hard, they give up because they actually only live for this world. There isn't a life that they're living for after this world. But the Christian knows there's a resurrection. I love Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15, the, the great chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. Paul actually makes a very realistic judgment about Christians' lives who are suffering and being persecuted. Listen to this verse. It says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only. So if we only had hope in this life. Listen to what Paul says. What is his judgment about Christians? We are of all people most to be pitied. So if people only look at our lives on earth, the way we live, the way people persecute us, the way people hate us, people should feel sorry for us. They should say, poor Christians, look at them. They're just wasting their lives. They're just giving away their money. They're just dying for the faith. Why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. But the next verse, the very next verse reads, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, we don't just have hope in this life only. We have hope for the next, because Christ is raised from the dead. That's the ultimate proof that Christianity is true, the resurrection of Jesus. Because he has been raised from the dead, you can bank your entire life upon it, and you'll be safe. Christ is raised, he will come again, and his resurrection is the first fruits. In other words, it's the first of many more resurrections to come. So, beloved, every sacrifice, every ridicule, every trial, every sickness, every put anything there in the blank that you endure 
because of your faith or because of your trust in Christ, is worth it. It's worth it. So dear Christian, is your helmet on? Do you put it on daily? You see, we need a daily reminder and we need this weekly reminder. What do we call the Sunday? What is the thing I say almost at the end of every service? Right? Enjoy the Lord's Day. Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Because Jesus has been raised on the first day of the week, on the Sunday. Jesus has been raised from the dead. So every week we have this reminder. We should have this reminder. On a Sunday you should wake up. When you see the sun rising, you should see this is how the eternal, Christ's resurrection is like that eternal sunrise that will make all things new. On this day I don't have to work. I can rest. I can worship with God's people because here are the first fruits of this new creation that God is making. Jew, Gentile, one people, one church worshiping God. One day we will see him face to face where every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship him and bow their knee. And every week we have this reminder. That's why we need Sundays. Look at a Christian that skips his Sundays, that starts uh, neglecting church, and you'll see his helmet falling off. He loses, he forgets that these are the eternal realities. So yes, we need the weekly reminder, but beloved, you need a daily reminder. Every morning when you crack open your Bibles, when you read this book, it's, it's a daily reminder that God is true, that your soul needs this food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need soul-sustaining truth, promises, realities of this book to remind us. So meditate. And I encourage you to do this in your quiet times as you pray, as you think about God, as you think about your salvation. Think about Judgment Day. Think about when Jesus comes again, think about when he will make all things new around us. Take some time and meditate upon that. So that's the first reason, to protect us from giving up in our spiritual, but then obviously, secondly, to protect us from giving up in our physical sufferings. So this now, secondly, not to do with your, your walk with Christ or because you are a Christian, just because you are a human being, you will suffer, you will go through trials. You don't have to be a Christian to go through sufferings. Because of Adam's sin and because we are children of Adam and we are, we are united to Adam, our, our world is broken, our relationships are broken. Think of the brokenness of your body. Now, I know many of you are like students and young and you're like, what are you, what are you talking about? It felt like yesterday when I had the energy of a toddler, then I got the toddler and that energy is gone. I'm like, where is this energy gone? I thought, give me five children. I can piggyback them all, right? And now I can't play for 10 minutes straight. I'm done. <laughs> 10 minutes, the energy is gone. Our bodies are slowly deteriorating. We are growing older, bolder. <laughs> but just think of pain, just pain in general. Think of sickness and the slow deterioration which happens to every person no matter how fit you are paul said this about our, our physical bodies he says our outer self is wasting away that's what a what a verse right that's our outer self our outer self year after many years it will be wasting away the broke but think also not just of the brokenness of your body think of the brokenness of relationships that's suffering People lie to us. People hurt us. They gossip about us. They reject us. Maybe you are part of that suffering as well. We treat it unfairly due to people's sinful biases or 
Even though we have done everything in our power to restore a relationship, some relationships are irreconcilable. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 verse 18, if possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The idea is that's not going to always happen. It's not always possible. You're going to do everything in your power and it assumes that you have. So that's the first Maybe you should remove the plank out of your own eye and ask, have I done everything in my power to reconcile? But that might be, you might really have done everything in your power and the other person just says, no ways, no relationship, no forgiveness, get out of my face. That, that's a reality. Think of the brokenness of just our world in general, the world. When we were still living in Clarkstorp, uh, me and my wife, Almost on a weekly basis, cables were stolen, water pumps destroyed, people mugged and robbed, drugs being distributed freely. Bribery is happening. We just feel the corruption of our government, right? And when that happens, ordinary people suffer. Ordinary people suffer. And we groan. We groan under the suffering and we ask, how long, O Lord, will this go on? There's conflict at work, when we work or when with people that we work with. Things just don't work right. Think of load shedding, right? How, how much strain that puts on businesses and people can't do their jobs because of that. We see how the world is going headlong in their sin. The slaughter of innocent babies in the womb, right? The LGBTQ agenda has found its way into almost every media, every movie, even in children's um, shows as well. How will we not, when we see all of this happening, not cave in under the depressing hopelessness of this world? Well, again, putting on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Listen to how Paul puts this. And this is one of the most important verses you need to know. Is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Okay, Paul, why? Why should we not lose heart? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, when the helmet is on, when you are thinking rightly about all of your suffering, you will call it, like Paul, light. Now that is, if you just think about Paul's sufferings for a moment, shipwrecked, right? Sleepless nights, the 40 lashes, I think three or five times, right? Minus one on his back. Pressure without, pressure within. And he says, he looks at all of that suffering and he says, Light. In comparison to the eternal weight of glory. And then he calls it momentary. You see, he knows. He's thinking of heaven. He's thinking of the second coming. The helmet of the hope of salvation is on. This world is not the status quo. It won't continue the way it is. This is not how your story ends. So, beloved, if you are in Christ, this world and all of its sufferings and all of its trials and sadness is the closest you will ever get to hell. This is the closest you're going to get. 
On the flip side, for the unbeliever, this is the closest they will ever get to heaven. The closest they will ever get to experiencing anything of joy and delight. And the point is this, this world is passing away. But Jesus' kingdom is forever. No suffering is permanent. But God's love is permanent. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Not death, not sickness, not demons. Nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. So that's why we need this helmet desperately. And for those of you maybe who have no idea of what I'm talking about, you have no idea what this hope is, you've never tasted this hope before, then for you, you shouldn't have this looking forward to the future hope. You should first experience the first salvation, the, the past one right now. For those of you who come to Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to call upon the name of the Lord. Do not harden your heart. King Jesus has come to pay for your sins, for all of your sins on the cross, so that anyone and everyone who comes to him, who believes in him, he will cleanse, he will forgive. So will you come right now and come to this king and put your trust in him and he will save you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this weekly reminder on the Lord's Day. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, Lord Jesus, you have died and you have risen again on the first day of the week. And our gathering here this afternoon is but the first fruits, the foretaste of that eternal kingdom coming. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to stand firm in our faith, to truly wear the helmet of the hope of salvation and stand firm against the schemes and the lies and the demonic discouragements that comes our way. May we encourage one another daily as we see the day drawing near that we would encourage one another to good works, to be rich in good works, to be prepared as a bride with white garments when we see our husband, our groom, the Lord Jesus. May we be ready for him and for his coming. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, Lord, even here, Lord, that you would draw their hearts to you, that they would long to know you through your Son, that they too would be reconciled to God and be forgiven of their sins so that they can share in that blessed resurrection when Jesus comes again. Lord, bless our time. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.